0: Did not learn from their mistakes. Last weekend I was golfing with my two brothers and one of my brother-in-laws. We were all standing at the same tee-off spot. We each took a turn hitting the ball from the same spot. And I was the last out of the four of us to hit it. And I watched each of my brothers take their turn, and each hit their ball very badly to the right. One by one, they each hit their ball very badly to the right. Their ball landed right before a bunch of trees, which in golf is not a good thing. And then it was my turn. I teed up my ball. I got set. I even took a practice swing. I knew that my three brothers had all hit their ball badly to the right. I had that in mind. And then I hit the ball, and you can probably guess where it landed. Very badly to the right. right beside. My brother's shots. I saw what they did. I even had witnessed their mistakes. And yet I chose to do my swing set up. And do the same things that led to a shot that went badly to the right. I did not learn from the mistakes of those who had gone before me. And we can do this on, on so much more serious levels in our lives. We can see friends make poor decisions that affect them badly. But then make the same mistakes ourselves. Mistakes from our parents or grandparents and generations before us, they can be weighty and affect us spiritually. And sometimes we can make those same mistakes ourselves. You would think that once we see those mistakes in others, it can be easier to not want to make those same mistakes, but I think we know that that's not always the case. We may want to learn from those who have gone before us and want to change, but our flesh can fight back. In our passage that we are going to look at this morning, we're going to see a man called Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, give a direct challenge to his audience. He's on trial for something he did not do, and yet he turns the table and accuses his accusers. He challenges them directly of not learning from the mistakes of their fathers and in fact making the exact same mistake. Mistakes when it comes to responding to Jesus. They were far from God just as their fathers were, and had not responded in faith to Jesus, but in fact had rejected Jesus. So, as we look through our passage this morning, we're going to be challenged to think about what a heart that rejects Jesus looks like. But even as we think about how much our flesh wants to do things our way and how we can be stubborn and allowing Christ to rule in our hearts. We're going to see an example of our faithful God who works and moves even in the darkest of times. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Our main portion is going to be from Acts 7:51 to 53, but we're going to touch on a few spots earlier as well. So we're going to read starting at at verse 51 in Acts chapter 7. So this is Stephen saying this to his accusers. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it those are some pretty strong words from stephen and in those words we have our main question that we're going to be looking at this this morning from our summer series and the, pro- the question is this, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? In order to understand why Stephen is asking this question, and in order to understand the strength of his words, we need to backtrack a little bit. So we first see Stephen in Acts chapter 6, when he was chosen by the apostles to be a deacon. There we see him described as a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power, and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Those are some very wonderful descriptions to have given to you, and descriptions that we want to be true of us, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and full of power. It's amazing because these descriptions for Stephen, they weren't mere words, but they were absolutely true, and we're going to be able to witness These attributes in Stephen lived out throughout the rest of the narrative. But as Stephen was preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, doing amazing signs and wonders, as what often happens in the book of Acts, people do not like the fact that the name of Jesus is being proclaimed, and they get mad. Look back with me to Acts chapter 6, verses 9 to 14. I'm going to read this. This morning. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So those verses that we just read, they set up this big trial against Stephen and Stephen's defense before the people. We see there that there are several different groups of Jews that were hearing Stephen preach and they saw him do amazing wonders and were not happy about it. They rise up against Stephen, they try and oppose him, but they had nothing on him. I'm sure that's happened to you where you're trying to debate with someone. You start to realize you are way over your head. You realize it's not going anywhere and that you need to try some other new tactic. And that's what the Jews do here. They know that Stephen is too wise for them. They couldn't respond to his persuasive arguments, so they resort to a new tactic. And that was to bring false accusations against him. Things that were not truth, saying things like that Stephen was saying blasphemous things against Moses, against God, saying words against the temple and against the law. They stir everyone up. Tensions are high. They drag Stephen in front of the council of the Sanhedrin, which is the high authority of Jewish culture. The high priest asks Stephen, are these charges against you true? And that brings us to Stephen's defense. And it is not a normal-looking defense. If I was on trial for something I did not do, I would want to lay out exactly how the accusations were false. I would want to defend myself and prove my innocence. I'd want to get witnesses to come and vouch for me. But what Stephen does is very different. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't try and declare his innocence with convincing arguments. He does not call in witnesses. Instead, he gives a history lesson, which for us seems very odd. In fact, some people believe that Stephen's sermon here is so random that it doesn't really have a point to it. But that's not true. The defense he gives where he's going to go back to the history of Israel actually very much has a point, and it builds up to the point where he asks our question that we're going to be looking at. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And as he journeys through the history of Israel, there's a big theme that stands out that we're going to touch on here. And that theme is one of rejection. Okay, as Stephen is going over the history of Israel, he gets to Joseph. And then he says this about Joseph in uh, chapter 7, verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. Okay, there we start to get a hint of Stephen's direction. A hint of the direction of Israelites rejecting those whom God has sent. So he starts with Joseph, then he moves to Moses. And he focuses on on the story of Moses, how God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. But then Stephen adds some commentary Verse 35, he says, This, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man sent by God, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Right? This Moses, whom God had sent, used for his great purposes, this Moses was rejected by Israel. Again, in verse 39, we see a similar thing. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Even though Moses was used by God, sent by God, the Israelites refused to obey him. They thrust him to the side. They chased after what they wanted instead. So again, we are seeing that theme here, the pattern of Israel rejecting Those whom God had sent. But there was even another added element on top of that. He not only did they reject Joseph, reject Moses, the people whom God had sent, but Stephen also highlights that they had rejected the message of the prophets that brought the message of future promise. Look at verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Moses was proclaiming to the Israelites that a future prophet was going to come who would be like him, who would bring the deliverance of Israel. So Moses was proclaiming the coming of the righteous one, the Savior. And we know that Savior to be Jesus Christ. So Israel was also, they were rejecting the prophets, persecuting the prophets, but also rejecting the promise of the righteous one. So Stephen builds up this history lesson to show to his accusers, to the Jews, the Sanhedrin, look, in the history of Israel, our forefathers, they rejected the prophets. They did. They did. The prophets, the leaders that God had ordained, they were rejected. And that brings us to our question, right? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? So he switches from this history lesson to these strong words that are meant to bring about repentance. And we all know the answer to that question, right? And the people there listening to this question, they knew the answer too. It wasn't a literal question. Stephen wasn't looking for a direct response from the crowd. But it was a question to challenge them and get them to think about this pattern that was displayed over and over. Right? Stephen, he already gave examples of Moses and Joseph getting rejected. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see examples over and over of prophets who were persecuted and prophets who were rejected by Israel. We think of the prophet Elijah, who said this in, he said this to the Lord in First Kings nineteen ten. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. We think of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who over and over again pleaded with Israel to repent of their sins only to be rejected over and over and Jewish tradition tells us that Jeremiah was or Jewish tradition tells us that Jeremiah was stoned to death over and over we see that pattern so after recalling that history and with the knowledge of so many more prophets Stephen is accusing the Jews of doing the same thing he says in verse 52 Right before our question, as your fathers did, so did you. This pattern is happening again. They did not learn from the mistakes of their fathers, but they were in fact making the same ones again. But it didn't just stop at rejecting the prophet sent by God. It escalated meant that the Jews were rejecting Jesus. Again in verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. They killed prophets like Isaiah Jeremiah who told, foretold the coming of the righteous one. And just like their fathers had done, the Jews had now done themselves. The pattern continued And this time they rejected the righteous one himself, Jesus Christ. Although Jesus was without sin, they rejected and killed him. They crucified him. Isaiah even talks about this directly in in chapter 53. Predicting that Jesus was going to be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And that came true. Jesus was despised and rejected. But we know that rejecting Jesus wasn't only a Old Testament problem or a first century AD problem. But is still ever present today. We live in a culture where more and more rejection of Jesus is normalized. And not just kind of passive ignorance of Jesus, but rather active hatred towards him to love Jesus more and more means that we are at odds with our culture but it's not just out there in the world or in the culture or in social media but in human hearts if we are in Christ we are new creations but before we were saved by Jesus we rejected him we chose to be masters of our own destinies we chose to fight against God and ignore the way he had revealed himself to us Just like in the Old Testament, they had the law, they had prophets telling them about how God wanted them to live. We have God's inspired word to us, and so accessible to us, God's word is nowadays. We have churches proclaiming the truth of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We also have God's creation, how he's revealed revealed himself to us through creation, how his fingerprints are all over creation. The, um, the creation shouts the handiwork of God. And even with that, and with God's word accessible to us, many reject Christ. Even when lives can feel empty and unfulfilled, we reject Jesus who gives us purpose. Even though we could see lives torn apart by sin and guilt... And we can see patterns of sin over and over in the lives of people around us, family members. We can reject Christ who gives us peace. And it's so interesting that these Jews who are accusing Stephen, they knew their Old Testament so well. They knew who the God of the Bible was. They had so much of God's word memorized, and yet they chose to reject the one that the Old Testament pointed to. And if we are in Christ, that was us before we were saved. And if you are not in Christ, that is you now. Before Stephen asks that question to the Jews holding him on trial, he says some really strong words to them. And he gives them some strong characteristics that describe their hearts that are rejecting Christ. And these can be true for our hearts before we are rescued and saved by Jesus. So he says this, let's look at verse 51 again. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. So here we have three descriptions of the state of the, the heart of the Jews that we're accusing Stephen. Three indications of a heart that is rejecting Jesus. And as we work through these, perhaps you can see some of these areas present even in your saving walk with, with Christ. Areas in our lives that we can choose to say no to Jesus where we don't want him to reign in our lives, but instead choose to give in to what we want. The first description that he gives us there in verse 51 is that he calls them stiff-necked. There are times where my neck will get really sore, and when it gets sore, it stiffens up. And when it gets stiff, it, it can make it hard to turn my neck, right? To turn my face, my head. But Stephen isn't saying, you all have very sore necks. No, he's talking about being stubborn. Your neck is stiff not by soreness, but, by your, but your neck is stiff in the sense that you are refusing to turn your head. You have all probably had experience or seen with a, a toddler or a young child when they get in trouble and when a parent sits their child down and says, okay, I need you to look at me right now. And then you could just picture the toddler going like, nope. Nope, I'm not, I'm not going to turn my head. I'm not going to look. Stephen is accusing the Jews of, of being stubborn, refusing to turn their heads. To the truth. Instead of turning to Christ, to look at Christ and to confront our sin, we are remaining with our face turned away. Stubborn in in choosing to reject Jesus. Whether or not we lean more towards having stubborn personality, we can relate to that sentiment of wanting to fight for what we want. To hold on to what we believe is true, even if it goes against God's word stubborn and not wanting to give up things in our lives that may be causing us to sin. There can be times where Jesus is trying to get a hold of us, right, nudging us, asking us to make sacrifices in order to turn from sin. But we refuse to turn our necks because we enjoy that sin too much or we are too comfortable. We're not willing to go to such great lengths in order to serve him. And like in the case with the Jews in our narrative, it can be a stubbornness in refusing to turn to Jesus for salvation and hardening our hearts. But Stephen doesn't just call them stiff-necked. He also calls them uncircumcised in heart and ears. For us today, this can be a, a term that can be a little harder to understand and we wouldn't right away understand the heaviness of that accusation. But for the Jews who heard this, it was a big deal. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign of entering into God's covenant, of being God's people. So by calling them uncircumcised in heart and ears, Stephen is saying that they are acting like people who are outside of God's covenant. Acting like people who are not God's people. They are being unfaithful to God. Their hearts have not been transformed and they are refusing to listen with their ears to the truth that God has called them to. And if you are not in Christ, you are uncircumcised in heart and ears as well. And our prayer, and prayer that we can be praying for those in our lives that have not been saved by Christ is that God would circumcise their hearts, that they will be fully joined to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That they will lay aside their stiff necks and fully submit to God in their lives and in their hearts. But again, Stephen goes even further and says that his Jewish accusers have also been resisting the Holy Spirit. The, words, uh, the way the words are set up here are implying that something happens over and over again. Cassandra and I have a golden doodle dog named Flynn who likes to run away from us and socialize with all the dogs along our street. He doesn't play favorites. He goes and visits them all. And we have a a space of about 30 meters from our back door to our fenced-in area in our backyard. And I like to trust that Flynn will make it from our back door to the fenced-in area without me having to walk him on a leash. I like to trust that he's just going to go from our back door to the backyard fenced-in area. So over and over again, I trust that he will do that. And then over and over again, he runs away and goes and says hi to the neighbor dogs. That's the idea here. Over and over again, the Jews are opposing God. Over and over again, they are resisting the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, they're rejecting the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Just like with Stephen's accusers, apart from Christ, we are opposing God over and over. But in Christ, it's an awesome gift to be indwelled by the Spirit. To have the Holy Spirit guiding us, pointing us to Christ. Convicting us of sin in our lives. Giving us power and strength to live for him, so All three of those characteristics being stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, resisting the Holy Spirit over and over, are signs of a heart that has rejected Jesus. Just as their fathers had done, so did they. Just like their fathers had persecuted prophets who were telling of the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, the Jews had rejected Jesus and killed him. In their hearts, they were resisting the Holy Spirit. They were unfaithful to God and they were stubborn in their ways. And if those characteristics are, are true for you and, and you are refusing to turn your face to Jesus, if, you have, if you're deciding over and over again to reject him, decide now to, to turn to the one that you have rejected Repent of your hardness of heart. Ask Jesus to forgive you for wanting to be in control and give your life to him. Turn your heart to the one who was despised and rejected, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and with whose wounds we are healed. After Stephen gives his defense... Which wasn't really a defense. The Jews who have him on trial do not appreciate his efforts to call them out on their mistakes. To call them to repentance. They get enraged and in a mob-like effort, they rush Stephen to the edge of town and stone him. They followed up the rejection and murder of Jesus by rejecting and murdering Jesus' faithful servant, Stephen. Stephen. There was a man present at the stoning of of Stephen, a man named Saul. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, that Saul approved of Stephen's execution. Now, we don't know if if Saul was present at, at the trial of Stephen, but there's probably a good chance he was there. A good chance that he had heard those accusations from Stephen that he himself saw to hear that he was reliving the sins of his forefathers, that he Saul had rejected Jesus. His heart was so stubborn against God, resisting the Holy Spirit. He was unfaithful to God, so much so that he was standing there approving of the execution of Stephen. He didn't stop there. He went around and chased believers, throwing them in jail. But we know The story. This stiff-necked man who was rejecting Jesus, deciding to resist him as the truth over and over again, who would even later on describe himself as the worst of sinners, this man was saved by Jesus. This man came to know Jesus as Savior. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and saved him This man who stubbornly rejected Jesus over and over humbled himself and turned to Christ for salvation. Where before he was stubbornly refusing to turn his head to Christ, now he believed in Christ. And because of his faith in him, because of the amazing grace of God given to us through Jesus, Saul's sins were forgiven. His wounds were healed and he was now a child of God. That gives us such hope knowing that we are never too far gone, too distant to receive the gift of God's amazing grace of salvation. It can be really hard for us often seeing Jesus rejected by those around us. It can bring discouragement when we see the pain that can come from people living in sin and making those mistakes over and over. Discouraging to see people that we love Decide to reject Jesus? Sometimes it can even be confusing, not understanding how this could be a part of God's plan, how God could still be moving, even while so many still reject Him. It can also be hurtful, right? Like with with Stephen, believers all over the world are killed for their love of Christ. And many more, including here in Canada are persecuted because of their love for Jesus. But even through the the discouragement, the confusion, and the hurt that can come from seeing those around us reject Jesus, we can trust in our great and awesome God. We can trust that he is sovereign, that he is good, and trust that he is going to accomplish his purposes even in ways we may not fully ever understand. Directly after the stoning of of Stephen, that very day, persecution of Christians rose and was so severe that believers had to flee. They had to run, which was awful. It was scary for believers. But everywhere they went, believers continued to share the good news of Jesus. And God used that persecution to spread the good news of the gospel out from Jerusalem and into all nations. Even as we see the rejection of Jesus around us in people's lives, we can trust that God is working and moving. And we can witness times where God takes a person's heart who is so far from him, but through his saving power can save them, like with Saul. And if we are in Christ, like with us. So whether we are in Christ and can see ourselves not wanting to turn our face to Christ and wanting to resist and reject him, or whether we are not saved and far from Jesus and over and over are deciding to resist him, humble yourself, do not reject Jesus Christ, but in humility turn your face to him. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a great and powerful and sovereign God. That you alone have the power to save. That we can trust that you are working even when we don't see it, even when we can't understand how you are working. We know that it can be discouraging when people we love or people we know reject Christ, but we know that we can trust that you are good, that you are sovereign, Um, and we pray that those who are rejecting your son, Jesus, and choosing to do so over and over will humble themselves, turn their face to Christ, and trust in him. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.